Hey, y'all. Just a reminder, the kids can uh, gather at the back for Children's Church. I invite you to turn with me your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. You also see it there in your bulletin. We are continuing our series on our vision statement and core values of our church. And this week we come to the core value of love. I'm going to put it back before you. Our core value says love is compassionate and charitable. We give generously of our whole selves to serve God and man, treasuring the image of God in all because he first loved us. Let's turn now to God's word. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. It is truth, and it is without error. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endears all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but your word stands forever. It is your word and your spirit that speaks to us now. I pray that you would give us open ears, open hearts, uh, and that we would see Christ in this. Praise your name. Amen. Well, love and the heart are two things that cannot be separated. I'm not talking about the physical heart or uh, the heart that you might find on jewelry or the heart-shaped candy or cards that we give out at Valentine's. I'm talking about the core of who we are. It's our mind, soul, and strength that shapes the way that we live. So as we think about love and the heart in this passage, it's important to understand the context of what we're coming to. 1 Corinthians is written by Paul to the church in Corinth, a church that he planted. And he's writing it because there is major divisions in the church. They're struggling openly with sin of sexual immorality. And on top of this, the church had actually written a letter to Paul 
and they were really confused on theology. They were really confused on certain ways they were to live the Christian life. Now, the root of their disunity was an elevation of self. It was a uh, self-centeredness in their actions. They were pursuing their own advancement rather than gospel advancement. That's one of my seminary professors said when speaking about 1 Corinthians. They were seeking worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom. Just from this little bit of context of the church in Corinth, we can relate pretty easily. It doesn't take much to find division in our world today, division in the broader church, division in our country. We run into it daily. So I want you and I to be careful this morning to not let that overshadow something. It's the thing that was at the bottom of the issue with the church in Corinth is at the bottom of the issue with division today, and that is our hearts. The heart. Our hearts can be divisive things. They can create disunity inside of us that creates disunity with other people, creates disunity with God. Even when we're pursuing good and true things, our hearts can so quickly become divided. And at the root of this is the battle with sin. It's the struggle between self and God. Self and others, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Martin Luther, a great reformer, once said that whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. And if our hearts and love can't be separated, then we must ask ourselves, what is my heart clinging to? What is it confiding in? God's word is telling us in this passage that there's a more excellent way. And we see from this passage that love comes from God through Christ and is at the core of the Christian life. Love comes from God through Christ and is at the core of the Christian life. Therefore, it must be the priority and the posture of our hearts. First, let's look to the priority of love. And we look back to the context again. Paul is writing this letter, teaching them, trying to show them that there's a better way than worldly wisdom. And as we look to the immediate context of chapter 13, it's actually sandwiched between two chapters talking about spiritual gifts. Now it seems that the church were elevating certain gifts over others. Chapter 12, Paul is exhorting the church, he's telling the church to put off this self-centered ways and is reminding them that the only way that you receive spiritual gifts and that spiritual gifts are given is through the Spirit. Secondly, in that chapter, he talks about the body of Christ, Christ being at the head. He talks about how all gifts all of the church, the body, whether the feet or the hands or the eyes are all needed in the body. There's nothing that is above another. So that's what we come to in chapter 13. 
And in verses 1 through 3, we see that anything minus love equals nothing. To put it another way, the action absent of love equals nothing. Look back at verses 1 through 3. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries, all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. This is all in the first person. Paul is using himself as an example to saying if I had these gifts and had the greatest ability in them, the greatest potential, but they were absent of love, what does he say first? He says, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. There's some different thoughts on what exactly these instruments were. The gong would have likely been some type of bronze vessel that if you struck would have echoed. The cymbal would have clanged when you hit it, but both would have lacked a variety of tones, variety of notes. If you think about this morning, as we worship through song, if, we, if the only instrument we had was one cymbal, and it wasn't even to a rhythm, right? It would make no sense. It would become annoying to our ears. Paul is saying, even if I spoke in the most eloquent of ways, if it's absent of love, he's nothing but an annoying symbol. Two more times, he reiterates this. He says in verse two, but have not love, I am nothing. Verse three, but have not love, I gain nothing. There's nothing you can become or gain in the absence of love. No level of knowledge or faith or generosity, no, no level of sacrifice even to your life. Now, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts here, but he mentions these because they, they were the ones that they were trying to elevate over others. But it really comes down to the practice of love in their actions. After reading this passage, you might be thinking, much like the church in Corinth probably would have thought when they read this letter, it was, okay, Paul, we got it. We're not supposed to love, or we're supposed to love. Do everything in love. So if we don't love, is nothing. But we need to ask a simple question that I think is at the root of what Paul is trying to say here. That question is, why do you do the things you do? What is our motivation behind our actions? What is the priority of your heart? Why do we pursue certain things, whether it's sports or education or careers? Why do we pursue certain houses or certain material things in this life? Why do we volunteer for certain activities inside and outside of the church? It's important to note God's word is not telling us that we should not pursue any of these things. We should pr pursue education, should pursue work and careers, should pursue and enjoy sports, enjoy the material things that God has given us. Paul says in chapter 12 that we should pursue greater gifts. The question is, what Paul is trying to say is to check the intention of our hearts. 
to ask ourselves, why do we do the things we do? That's the priority of love. What about the posture of love? Love must be the posture of our hearts. If love is so important, if it's to be who we are and what we do, then we need to ask the question of what is love? We see in verses 4 through 7 that the love described here is the love our hearts desire. Get back at verse 4. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So this is a good list, right? I like this list. This is how I want to be loved. This is a, love is the heart is the love that our hearts desire. I don't know about you, maybe when we just read that passage, but as I've been studying this passage this week, I've been more and more convicted that often I line up more with what love isn't than what it is. That I'm much better at pointing out what love isn't in others than pursuing what love is. We see in this that the love our hearts desire is actually God's love for us. It serves as a foundational example for how we are to love. If you think about the word love used here, um, it's the word agape. And at its most basic sense, it means warm regard for and interest in another. But there's something so much more and so much deeper to this love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13. The love that in John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Romans 5.8, for God so loved the world, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Got an extra dose of uh, 316 there. Um, 1 John 4, 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is divine love that originates with God is to be reflected back to him. It's God's love for us and is to be our love to God. We further see this in the New Testament with a, a great command to love in the gospel when Uh, Jesus is asked by a scribe what commandment is the most important. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. And second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is, is quoting the Old Testament in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, putting these together to show that to love God is to love neighbor. See it again in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says, says, love your enemies. So we see that this love described here, the love that is to be the posture of our hearts, is a self-sacrificing, others-oriented love. It's the love that puts off self and loves others. Not because we get along with them, because we hold the same views or have the same interests, 
but because they are made in the image of God. You know, Paul is specifically speaking to believers, to the church here. And so this is how we are to love each other. But we also know that there's a broader application that we are to love those outside the church as well. One of the ways that we can share this love that's expressed here, as our core value says, is to treasure the image of God in all people. So what does it mean for this to be the posture of our hearts, for us to to treasure the image of God in all people? Well, first it means that we value things. We value others, which means we don't consider their socioeconomic status. How will they fit into treasure? That's not what we think should think about when we think about someone's worth. Treasuring the image of God means that we don't decide their value. That someone's, someone's money, their job, their family, their ability, their intelligence doesn't give them value. Their value, your value, my value, comes from God, comes from us being created male and female in the image of him. So to treasure the image of God means we value them. It also means we care for them. This means that we live self-sacrificially and others-oriented. As our core value says, that we give generously of our whole selves. You know, the opportunities to love and care for another usually are never convenient. Usually comes when we have a full schedule or when we have other things to do. This passage is calling us to a self-sacrificial love, a love that doesn't make sense, a love that is messy and will get us out of our comfort zones. And we pursue this love, we pursue this as the posture of our hearts by seeking to follow Christ's example, not for self-gain, not for self-promotion, but for love. We may ask the question, so what happens when I fail at this? When we don't treasure the image of God in others, when we think and act more like the negative attributes of this passage than the positive. Theologian once wrote, summarizing all of Paul's writings on love, he says this, Love explains what it means to be in Christ to be in the spirit, to be in the faith. In it is realized the freedom from sin to which believers have been called to in Christ. See, the pursuit of a posture of love doesn't come from us trying harder, but rather our pursuit comes from our union in Christ through the spirit. Which brings us to our last point, the perfect love. This love which bears all things, which believes all things, which endures all things, is internal love. Look back at verse 8. It says, love never ends. This serves as a summary of what Paul has just said in verses 3 through 7. It is pointing forward to a description of what's to come. And if love never ends, then that means love is eternal. Love comes from from the Father through the Son 
and works through the Holy Spirit. Paul is trying to get in the heads of the church in Corinth that those spiritual gifts that you are staking so much of your effort on, making so much of your priority, are but signposts to what's to come, are signposts to the second coming of Christ. This is a this is a reminder for the church in Corinth, a reminder for us this morning that there are many things in our lives to pursue, to be priorities, but to keep our eyes set on ultimate things. Don't let temporary things become ultimate things. God's this perfect love is eternal, but it's also better. Mind you, again, Paul's not speaking against spiritual gifts. He is for them. He encourages them. But he wants the church to see them in the right framework. And in this, he uses several examples to explain the greater things to come. Verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, this isn't demeaning gifts or demeaning children, what He's saying is that there's a natural growth that occurs in our lives. That childhood is temporary. That adulthood is coming. He again uses this illustration of the mirror. And looking in the mirror, if you think about it, you never actually see yourself. You just see the reflection of yourself. He's saying when you, the things that come is going to be a face-to-face picture. So what does this mean? God's word is calling us to live now with a focus on eternal things. To live now with the priority of our actions, the posture of our hearts, focused on the perfect love, which is Christ Jesus. If you think about Paul's story, Paul understands this really well. Paul, formerly known as Saul, persecutor of the church, He was met on the road to Damascus by Jesus, who met him where he was, called him out, and changed his heart. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, he says, I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, an opponent to God and the Christians. And he says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul writes to Timothy, he's also, what's true in 1 Corinthians, that faith and love are in Christ. We see these connected with hope in verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why is love, why is love the greatest? All three of these are vital parts of the Christian life. This is why they're at the core of who we are and who, what we want to be as a church. Faith, hope, and love are meant to be reinforcing each other. But it's the eternal divine love of the Father for his Son and through his Son in which we have faith and in which we have hope. They're all linked together, but they're based on the eternal love of God through Jesus Christ. At the beginning, uh, I quoted Martin Luther when he said that whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Our core value statement, again, it says we generously 
Give generously of ourselves to serve God and man, treasuring the image of God and all because what? Because he first loved us. I ask you this morning, are you willing to receive that love? Because you have it. You have received that love. You have Christ crucified for you. For you. When God looks on you, he sees Christ. That's the love of the Father. That's the love you have received. Core value can be defined as a deeply ingrained principle that guides all our actions. While that's a good definition, we get something so much better. If you're in Christ, you are in union with him. It's through our union in Christ, through his perfect love, that we can pursue a love that is a priority of our heart and the posture of our heart. It's how we love in a way that's others-oriented, that's sacrificial, that treasures the image of God in all. It's because he, he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, you've loved us so much, you sent your son to die for us so that when you see us, you see his righteousness. Father, I pray that that truth right there, that Christ is in us and for us, Lord God, that that truth would drive the way that we as a church love each other and love our community and love the world around us. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.